Well, there have been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who are praying all week. Many are praying and fasting for God to um, visit not only this nation, but in particular the city of Santa Maria. Um, there have been many from around the nation, yea, around the world, because there's been streaming, who are crying out for another move of Jesus in our day. A mighty move of Jesus, for the, the, literally for the birthing of Jesus in the city of St. Mary. And um, I don't know about you, but that's a good enough prayer to come into agreement with. It wouldn't be a bad thing for Jesus to take up residence in our city, amen? <laughs> for Him to do what He wants to do, to seek and save the lost. Anyone have anybody lost that you would love to see sought and found? Does anybody have any relationships that need mending and reconciling? Does anyone want breakthrough in their business where there's not just enough for you, but there's enough for your family and for your neighbors and, yea, for every person that comes into the sphere of this city? Amen? Anyone want breakthrough in their body that God would touch and remake those areas that are deteriorating or degenerating and receive a fresh touch and a brand new start? Well, everywhere Jesus showed up, he carried the capacity with every word that he spoke, every action that he did to bring the age to come to bear in whatever situation he faced. So if the person needed forgiveness, he could bring forgiveness and they were forgiven. If the person needed healing, he could touch them and they would be healed. If the person needed to be restored to community, like those several women that he healed, who, and the leper, and almost every sinner he hung out with, those who were held at arm's distance because of their condition, he, through one touch and one declaration, could restore them not only to health and to fullness, but also to family and community. And everywhere Jesus went... He carried with him the capacity to make all things new. And I want you to know that he is the same Jesus today. He is the same yesterday and forever. He, he is the same. And the passage that we're going to look at today, I have no clue how we're going to make it through this is just so fun. <laughs> but really the passage that we're going to spend some time unpacking today, it might be one of the most important passages, certainly in most important prayers, you, can, you and I could begin to pray over ourselves on a daily basis. And it's a prayer that goes like this. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you 
the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed Jesus to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This, the Apostle Paul prays on the heels of unpacking in one of the most airtight, power-packed passages about the nature and scope of the redemption with which Christ has wrought through the cross and resurrection. And after he unpacks the various dynamics that are available to all creation, Through Jesus, he then prays, he says, okay, it's one thing for them to hear it with their ears and their heads. It's another thing for the Spirit to seize them with these dynamics of who they truly are in Christ. How many of you know that if we would, if we would awake, be awake, and you've got to turn me down. I haven't even started getting loud yet. (laughs) On purpose, I'm trying to take off the plane and I'm working on my communication skills for those of you who are noticing so that you want to come back and listen and then get equipped and go out and speak it. Um, Okay, I lost where I was going there. Um, Thank you. So so the Apostle Paul, he... Oh, yeah. How many know that if, if we woke up tomorrow with the eyes of our heart opened to who we actually were, currently in Jesus, our day tomorrow would probably be different than our day today so far. If the the understanding, the insight, really this idea of revelation or unveiling, if the reason why Paul knows, and, and, and guys, I'm telling you, Paul had more insight and revelation than probably almost any man in history as far as the nature of Jesus, as far as the miracles that took place in his ministry and life, as far as just the sheer scope of his reach all over the known world of his day with the spread of the gospel, but even this most powerful man who got to be caught up in the third heaven and he wouldn't even talk about it, just go read 2 Corinthians 12, because it was so sacred and so holy, he kept it between him and Jesus. This man who, for all intents and purposes, had the most envious walk with God, he, in the depths of his core, knows That even in all of the anointing I walk in, all of my insight and revelation, and even though I met Jesus face to face, even after he had been resurrected and ascended, he knows that the only hope for God's church to walk in the fullness of Jesus is if the Spirit does a work in their heart. He knows. I mean, he could just go. I mean, he says the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. 1 Corinthians 4.20 I mean, he walked in unbelievable signs and wonders, unbelievable clarity on the gospel, unbelievable clarity and insight, unbelievable sufferings, unbelievable fruit and church planting and raising up elders. But he knows that the only hope for God's church to live in light of who they actually are in Jesus, the spirit of wisdom has got to break into their spirit. 
In other words, there's, there's only so much a man can do in the arm of flesh. Even in anointing, there's only so much a man can do. But what God desires for His people in these last days is a work of the Holy Spirit to get into the core of who we are and to awaken us to who we are actually in Jesus. In other words, I'm under the contention that most of us live at maybe 10% when God in Christ has made 100% available to us. We forget who we are. Come on, how many are out there that say, I forget who I am in Jesus all too often. I do not live out, the, the, out of the riches of His glorious grace. Again, all that He's been saying in, in he, Ephesians 1. And so what Paul does here is he, after unpacking the nature and scope of redemption, it's touched all of creation, Jew and Gentile. All the, he's saying, okay, God, Father. Now awaken them in the depths of who they are to who they actually are by the Spirit. Awaken them. I pray that, Father, that you would unleash revelation into the core of who they are so that nothing outwardly, circumstantially could knock them out of their place of who they are in Christ and in the Spirit. And so Paul prays for the eyes of their understanding to be enlightened. I love this amazing um, quote from Corey Russell. He's a leader in a, a global movement called um, IHOP, International House of Prayer. He says, many believers in the church today are obsessed with finding their identity, but only those who find the Son <laughs> will truly understand who they are created to be. And, and, and you know this, you know people like this who've been on an endless quest of discovering who they are, and you see them dabbling in a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And how many know and how many would testify today that trying to discover who you are apart from the one who even invented personality and personhood is a losing battle. And there's never a time where you feel like, ah, oh, that's it. Because God, again, Pascal says that God and Augustine, all these holy, holy old church fathers said, God made us for him. And until we find him, we will not fully connect to our purpose and our destiny. And Paul is saying, I want... I want them to know Christ, and then he's going to unfold in the preceding chapters in Ephesians the various nuances and dynamics of the individual callings that are possessed in the hearts and lives of God's people. But he starts with the revelation of Jesus, because when you see him, and only when you see him will you be able to see you correctly. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, look to Jesus today. You know, and Paul has already unpacked, you know, where is everything headed? How many know there are millions, yea, billions yet to be redeemed who are God's possession? Who believes that? Who believes that God, that when God looks at his world, he's not indifferent to its condition? When God looks at the city of Santa Maria and he sees the, the, the poverty, when God looks at the city of Santa Maria and he sees the, those addicted to drugs and substances, when God looks to the city of Santa Maria and he sees young people, instead of having a home of health and wholeness, they find solace in gangs. When God looks at the city of Santa Maria and there's not enough to go around, when God looks at the city of Santa Maria and he sees the, 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 the ravishing nature of sin and its decaying death force, when God looks at the city of Santa Maria, he does not look with a innocent, bystander, indifferent mentality. If you agree, say amen. When God looks at broken and hopeless situations, redemption burns in his spirit. He wants to remake and reclaim and restore all things to himself through his son, Jesus. And Paul has already told us that, man, the seal of the spirit for those who already believe 
is a seal so that you can then go out and become a messenger of the great redemption you have discovered and received in Jesus. The Lord, I love this passage, He is not slow in keeping His promises as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting, read it with me, anyone to perish, but... Now, you don't have to even look up the Greek to understand what that verse means. How many know God is after repentance for everyone? He doesn't take delight in any perishing. He wants all to come to repentance and faith. If you agree, say amen. It says the same in 1 Timothy chapter 2. For there is one God and mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. Who? Oh, sorry, verse 3. He wants, read it with me, all people to be and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And beloved, we live in an intersection of the most exhilarating days in salvation history. More people are coming to faith in Jesus all over the world now than at any other time in history. But we also find ourselves in an interesting place in the West, where those, that, those places and pockets on the earth that used to be considered hotbeds for Christianity, whatever brand of Christianity it was, or, 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 or blah, 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 we can talk about it in a different message, But how many know that the center hub of Christianity has moved from the West to places like Latin America, Africa, and Asia? And that should cause us to rejoice, amen. But also, I believe there's a healthy place of holy envy. Come on, how many know that that we serve a God of resurrection, that even that which once was alive, God can breathe on again and resurrect? And even though Christianity's center has moved from the West and the middle class and the white and the Anglo-Saxon, and now it's global, it's always been God's heart for it to be global, we have much to learn. And, and, and if we'll listen to the Spirit, we too can become awakened again to the glorious dynamics of the gospel of King Jesus. We live in an unprecedented day. Christianity is spreading. But in areas like ours, in our nation, we have to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Who says, wake up, O sleeper, and Christ will shine on your hearts. He wants to awaken us again to his purposes in Christ that he wants to spread in our land again. If that's your cry, can you say amen? Amen. The grace of God, it's already implicit. It's appeared to all people. He wants to offer salvation to everyone. Let's skip forward. So here's the issue, right? The issue is. Many of us, we prayed a prayer, some sort of form of the sinner's prayer, and we, we got our get-out-of-hell-free ticket, and we carried it in our wallets. And, but then we live, we live totally uninterested in, in many times in our lives because of our other interests and desires. We live totally unaware that there is an endless adventure and quest in Jesus that the Holy Spirit wants to take us on after we come to faith in Christ. Many times we, we live totally unaware. We've received the seed. We've prayed the prayer. We give the tithe. We kind of come to church occasionally. But I want you to know that there is a vibrant life in Christ that he has for every one of his sons and daughters. But what happens is we stop guarding our heart and love and desire for other things begin to seep in. Remember the parable of the sower. And I just heard someone reference a message. I haven't heard it yet. Um, I, I want to I check it out. But I think where most of us struggle is the third category, the, the, the seed that falls in soil, but then it grows up other thorns. And one of the things I heard about this message, the revelation is that 
that category of a thorny Christian, they don't have a hard heart towards God. They just have an open heart towards everything else, too. In other words, those that have thorns, it means the soil is able to take other seeds. And the problem with that is those other seeds. How many know weeds don't need a whole lot to survive? They don't need a whole lot of attention. They're just really good at breaking through concrete and, you know, and you're like, I just killed all of you weeds, but it doesn't need much to survive. And so many times I believe why Paul has to pray this prayer, open their eyes, father of glory, let them see the hope to which they've called the inheritance that is theirs in glory in the saints and the incomparable power of resurrection flowing through their veins is because many times we are absolutely aloof and unaware of what God is doing in us and wants to do around us. Again, back to the sower, because there's other things in our hearts that are growing and that are sapping our limited capacity of desire. How many know we have a limited capacity of desire? God doesn't, but we do. In other words, if I, if I allocate 40% of my desire for my stuff, how many know I can't just invent another 40% and then get it back up to 100 it'd be only, only for God? And so we are limited in our capacity, in our longings, in our desires, in our affections, in our appetites. And this is why it is so important to heed this word from, he, from, from Proverbs 4, because guard your heart. How many know you've got to guard your heart? Come on, somebody. How many have walked with the Lord long enough that you know you don't just accidentally maintain that place of hunger and longing and fire for God? It doesn't just accidentally happen. It is something unlike weeds that you've got to cultivate. You've got to give attention to it. You've got to set the alarm clock. You've got to stay up late. You've got to turn the tube off so that you can attune to the Spirit. How many know there is a false grace message that it's nothing to do with me and it's all about Him? I'm telling you, grace is not opposed to effort. It's only opposed to earning. The grace of God that we receive in Jesus is a glorious grace that empowers us to pursue Him with the same tenacity that He pursued us with. And I want you to know that the problem with many of us is is that Jesus, He's one of our things. He's not the supreme thing. Am I talking to anybody today? He's one of the things. Now, Chad is not saying you shouldn't care about your work or your, that's a bunch of baloney. How many know you can care about your work and then you could care about Jesus also? You can want to glorify God in what you do. And that's what we're talking about here. We're not just talking about going and quitting and hanging out in a room and just me and Jesus, me and Jesus, me and Jesus. How many know that God wants you to pursue him in and through all that you do with all of your life and all of your strength? In your everyday life, Jesus tells us directly in Luke chapter 21, he says, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness and debauchery and the cares of this life. And the day of the Lord will close in on you unexpectedly. And the prayer that I just quoted from Ephesians 1 is the remedy to a weighed down, careless heart. To have a heart awakened in the spirit. Your eyes of your heart enlightened to who you are in Jesus. How many have ever heard of the book called The Screwtape Letters? Anyone heard of that from C.S. Lewis? The Screwtape Letters comprise, it's amazing. uh, It was first published in 1942 and it takes the form of, of a series of letters. It's a fictional book where a senior demon called Screwtape writes to his nephew Wormwood 
who's a junior tempter. C.S. Lewis is amazing. The uncle's mentorship pertains to the nephew's responsibility in securing the damnation of a British man who's known as the patient. So it's this allegorical, metaphorical, fictional account of how the enemy works against patients, those who are up for grabs, you and I. And in this one passage, I have to read it, it's amazing from this book. It's so relevant to what we're saying. So little Wormwood is afraid that when he has to go back and talk to his mentor, Uncle Screwtape, he wants to be able to report, I got him to do some major sins. I did really good, Uncle Screwtape. I made him do these huge, bad, terrible things. And so this young little demon is afraid to report that he's not really all that successful. But here's what his uncle tells him. Uncle Screwtape to his little nephew. You will say that these, very, these are very small sins, and doubtless, like all young tempters, you're anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. You can just see, C.S. Lewis is a genius storyteller. But do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy. Hold on, which is God in this picture. The enemy is God from a demonic perspective. We all get it. Okay. Look at this. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that the cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light out into the nothing. And he says this in closing, quote, murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, and without signposts. In other words, C.S. Lewis, in, in, in many ways, only poets and storytellers can do. He's saying, how, the enemies, if, listen, if you're born again, how many know if you're born again, the enemy actually has no power to take you out of the Father's grip? Come on, somebody say amen to that. But he has absolute authority. At least he flaps around like a defeated, disarmed, and disempowered, dismembered loser. He can lob at you numerous things to woo your attention and your affection away from the one who saved you and on other things. This is what he specializes in. So what would his, if he can't get those who are now in Christ to commit the big things, don't you think he would probably go after just those little areas that sort of sap a little energy here, a little bit of affection here, a little bit of attention here until you add up all of the cumulative little things and you got a big huge pile of compromise. Am I talking to anyone today? And what C.S. Lewis does here is he tells us that the, really the ultimate scheme of the tempter is for you to know who you are in your head but not live out who you are dynamically in the power of the Spirit, the depths of who you are. If I can just get them, you know, and I, he says in another passage, his, you know, he actually likes that the patient in the story continued to go to church because the man thought he was okay. He, he, there's this, he, you know, in one of the letters, he, actually, I'm glad he's still going to church and he's pursuing all these little other things because he is under the illusion that he's good when he has no clue of what, who he actually is in Christ. No clue. And I love this Richard Foster, amazing, amazing quote. He says this, in our day, heaven and earth are on tiptoe waiting for the emerging of a spirit-led, spirit-empowered people. All of creation watches expectantly 
for the springing up of a disciplined, freely gathered, martyr people who know in this life the life and the power of the kingdom of God. It has happened before, and it can happen again. Oh, can you just imagine Jesus? Do we know what He's doing right now? Do we know what the resurrected, ascended, reigning and ruling at the right hand of the Father is even doing right now? Go read Hebrews 7, 22-25 and Romans 8, 31-35. He is interceding fervently and fiery and passionately for His people to spring up and awaken to who they are in Jesus. He is not praying little sissy, wimpy prayers. Oh, Father, if you feel like it, breathe on Him again. He is contending for you and I. Listen, do you think it makes Him happy to see those He's redeemed, 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 living out a destiny and identity far below what His blood actually purchased? You think it brings Him glory when He sees us indifferent and bored? And I'm not talking down at you. I'm talking to myself. This week, the Holy Spirit tapped me on the shoulder and He said, why do you get more excited about that new show you, you and your wife are watching than in the secret place in the morning? So your pastor was rebuked this week, but he didn't condemn me. It was a challenge. How many know his conviction is our life? It's not to be shrugged away from. When he convicts you, it turns into callousness and hardness if you ignore it. But if you receive that conviction and you walk in repentance, you experience breakthrough and blessing in your life. And I just never forget the Holy Spirit this week to your pastor. I'm just a man like you. He says, Chatty, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be like that. And this is where the lie of the enemy is just that. It's a lie that your cold, callous, dead, bored in Jesus life is all there is. It is a lie from hell. It is a lie because Jesus' blood and the redemption with which He has purchased you was for a life where you were ravished in His love. You were awakened. You were alive in the power of His Spirit that when you thought of Jesus, your heart would flutter like you met your love when you first saw her. I'm not doing this wishful junk. I'm not just trying to jack you up and get you excited. I'm telling you, the Spirit told me, He said, Son, it doesn't have to be that way. How many know we can actually curate our desires? Man, this is just basic 101 stuff. Maybe you're thinking I'm just, I'm, too, I'm giving you too much milk today. But I'm telling you, milk can make the body good. <laughs> yeah, that's off the page right there. That's not on the notes. <laughs> I remember, I'm serious, we're, we have this show that we're watching, I'm just being totally real, and I, I can't wait to go to work, and I go do my church Jesus thing, and pastor thing, and I'll call, and I'll be spiritual, but there's like an ache in my heart, I can't wait till we put the kids to bed, and I'm not saying that's bad to have hobbies with your wife, I'm, don't hear me, read through what I'm saying, but I'm saying the spirit was able to whisper and say, Chatty, I want, when you think about me, I want your heart to be moved. Because, Chatty, when I think about you, listen, this week on my way to work, it sounds like self-therapeutic. It's called the discipline of prayer. But I remember just driving. I was right there on Los, um, Los Barros, and I, I was praying. And I remember, it sounds like a weird thing to say maybe to you, but in my car in the secret place, it wasn't weird. I remember saying, God, I thank you that I please you. Yeah. 
I remember saying, I just it happened, it welled up in my spirit. I thank you that you're happy with me. I thank you that when you look at me, you love me. And I want you to know in that moment, and I I wasn't blubbering like I was now, but there was just a moment where if we knew the fervency with which our King Jesus burns for those who are His, our everything would be different. This is why in, in Hosea, which is this long, beautiful picture of the has said of God that, that you can't stop me, love God. Even in your lowest, your sinfulness, I'm just going to pursue you. But this is why he calls the lover to the wilderness so he can woo her to himself and he can speak words of tenderness over her. How many know if there's not a space where you are able to be wooed to God, you will never know the tenderness and the desire that burns in his heart for you? How many know you can't, you can't get this stuff on the run? You, am I talking to anybody? You can't get this stuff and, all right, now, okay, good. I mean, how many know, man, this life that God has made available for, for us in Christ is a life he wants to cultivate and shape and form. And it's not even in like the big moments. Believe me, I love the big moments. I've led worship to thou. I love, I love it. But how many know it's those little moments, moment after moment, day after day, week after week, month after month, and then year after year, these moments create uh, something that no one moment can bring. These moments of cultivating that space of being awakened to God's heart. And this is what Paul's praying for. Father of glory, I thank you for opening their eyes of their heart so they can see who they really are in you and in us. So three things. I'm going to skip a bunch just so we can close down here. He particularly prays that our eyes would be open to three different dynamics. Number one, the hope of our calling. Everyone say hope. Uh, Number two, an awakening to the glorious inheritance that is ours in Jesus. Everyone say, inheritance of glory. (sighs) And then to be awakened to the incomparable power of His Spirit that currently is true of you and I in Christ. Isn't that gnarly? It's true, but how many know there is true, and then there's, it is true. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, which true are you, dude? And what Paul, what Paul is saying is he's saying he wants what is true of you to become true. To become true of you. To become true of you. That you would, how many know? To live in light of who you and I are in Jesus is the battle. <laughs> to, live, to live out of what God says about us instead of what we say about us or the enemy or our past or the How many know that is the battle? To tune into the voice of the only voice that actually matters. The one who has already called us chosen, royal, holy, loved, redeemed, cherished, forgiven, adopted, etc., and he says, I pray that their eyes would be open. We'll just unpack these and then we'll go eat lunch or whatever. 
He's saying, I want their eyes to be open. And why? Because what we, be, we become what we behold. Say that with me. We become what we behold. And so Paul, he knows this principle is working in this prayer that if the eyes of their hearts are opened and they're enlightened and they can see you, Jesus, and they can see themselves in light of you, they will increasingly grow into your likeness. If you agree, say amen. If I can see it, everyone say, if I can see it, I can be it. If I can see it, I can be it. And this is what Paul is praying, that they would become what they behold. I love this. N.T. Wright, amazing quote. You become like what you worship. How many know that does not just apply to Jesus? Anyone know someone whose God was money and they were the most greedy? Come on, you become what you worship. When you gaze in awe, admiration, and wonder at something or someone, you begin to take on something of the character of the object of your worship. (laughs) And Paul is saying, I pray that their worship would be only Jesus. So hope, the hope to which he's called you. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. It's all good. How many know the hope of your calling is a living hope? Someone say living hope. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last times. If you are in Christ, your hope does not have an expiration date because your hope is alive because your hope is Jesus. So anyway, in other words, the destiny of Jesus is the destiny of every person in Jesus. So your hope today, no matter what your circumstance or situation, is alive because it flows from a person who is alive, Jesus Christ. Your hope is also an anchor. It says we have this anchor, this forerunner Jesus who's entered into the secret place in the heavenly realms, and he's entered there on our behalf so that now through faith we are tethered to who he is currently and who he will be for all eternity. So our hope is not only alive, it's an anchor. How many ever go through difficult, stormy seasons? And how many know that there is an anchor for your souls, that though your body may even crumble and fade and fail, your spirit is anchored and tethered to one who is never shifting, never shaking, who never slumbers, who is always solid and sturdy. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. So your hope is alive and your hope is an anchor. It's a refuge. It's your strength. And ultimately, come on somebody, because your hope is Jesus, your hope will never disappoint you. Because the one that you're hoping in has promised to make all things new. All things new. How many know adversity produces character, character, hope, and hope does not disappoint us because the power of God's love has been poured out into us, the Holy Spirit, Romans 5, 5. And why is that important? Because the Spirit is a guarantee, a down payment of what will fully come at the end of the age. And so your hope won't disappoint you because your hope is delivered in the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. And so this hope that he wants us awakened to is alive. It's an anchor and it will never disappoint. 
appoint you. Come on, turn to someone and say, I want that hope alive in my life and in my heart. I'm done. We should do hope today and we should do another one tomorrow and another one tomorrow. Was that a clap like I should be done or can I finish? I'm confused. If you need to leave, you can. I go way longer than this typically, so you guys are fine. Paul says, and really it's a sister letter, Colossians and Ephesians belong together. Colossians is more about the cosmic king, Jesus, and Ephesians is more about the church that the king has created. But they go hand in glove. So this week, read Colossians and Ephesians. You could do it in probably 25, 30 minutes in one sitting. Amazing read. Amazing read. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of the mystery, which is, read it with me, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, I believe glory is twofold. It is the full weight of his presence and the complete realization of his purpose. Someone say presence and purpose. And in Christ, the hope of glory is that not only is a day coming when his presence will be the very air that we breathe. Come on, somebody. We will also see the full realization of his purposes. No more sickness, no more sin, no more disease, no more sorrow, no more tears. And so Christ in you is the anchor, the living hope, the hope of glory. His full weighty presence and the realization of his purposes being actualized on a renewed earth with a renewed people. Come on, somebody say, I got hope for this glory today. Hope flows into our glorious inheritance. Hope spills over into inheritance. This is not a one-sided hope. Come on, somebody. How many know there are actually hopes in the heart of Jesus? It's one thing for us to work up, I got hope, I got hope. But how many know there is one on a throne who's got hope welling up in his heart for his inheritance? Come on, we got to see this. This is not a, listen, every other religion is one-sided. Do you hear me? Buddha, Muslim, every other religion is my adherence, my strictly abide by these laws, empty your brain, go to Mecca. It's all one-sided, but we serve a God in Christ. There is a two, it's a relationship. Paul is saying, I want you to see the glorious inheritance in the saints. The first meaning of this verse is that Jesus wants us to realize that he has an inheritance in us. And so he's saying, listen, yes, we have a glorious inheritance. Hallelujah. It's him and it's glory. It's heaven. Amen. But how many know that there is a hope that burns in the heart of the second member of the Trinity to have a bride, to have a people that are pure, that have made themselves ready for him for all eternity, a suitable, fitful helper to usher in new creation and to take care of a renewed earth. There is hope in the inside of God that he himself will have a glorious inheritance one day. Now, why does that matter? Because how many ever feel like your hope is on lack? Come on, let's be real today. I want you to know your hope may fluctuate. His doesn't. I will have a people. I will remake the world. I will cast out of my kingdom all that causes little ones to stumble. And I will have the last word at the last day. And listen. The last I checked, Jesus gets what he desires. And Jesus has an inheritance. And turn to the person next to you and say, that includes you. He's coming for you. I don't have time. 
I love it. Look at his inheritance. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne, before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice. Read it with me. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Joel 3.14 says, Multitudes, multitudes are in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. How many know God has more in that multitude who are not aware that they are invited into that multitude? We got work to do. How many know God's purposes come to bear on the earth through a people who are alive and awakened to his purposes? That's just how it works. And then finally... Skip some good stuff, but I'll give you the notes. I'll email them or something. He finally he prays, power for us who, who believe. And this is where just, there's just a line. I've been all over the country. I've been around the world. I would rather be in the camp that believes too much than the camp that says, oh, it was for a former day, and all we can do now is just be semi-moral and religious and a decent person. Come on, who wants to be in the camp of, I want to believe in the power that is manifest in and through Jesus? If the king of glory himself, if his ministry agenda was altered by how a town received him in faith or did not receive him in faith, do you think it matters our heart posture toward the one who says, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am the God of power and glory and resurrection now as I was when I walked the, the Galilean hillsides. And Paul prays power for us who believe. And I believe the linchpin is not on the power side because that's his side. Come on, say power is his side. But the power is for us who believe. That's our side. Now, you don't have to work up belief. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of Christ. Faith grows the more you hear, the more you treasure, the more you look to the one who is the author of faith, Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm preaching good today, man. I'm happy. I'm power. It's Jesus. I know. Duh. Yeah. Power is on his end of the equation, but belief is on ours. But even on our side of the equation, he messes with us because he's the one who gives faith. He's the one who fosters faith. He's the one who breathes on faith. In fact, on our side of the equation, Jesus told us parables like if you've got size of a mustard seed faith, you can move mountains. So don't get all bogged down by, I hope I believe enough. Or, I mean, I've heard really bad teaching that you should have had more faith. You should have, all this garbage. God is not a bully. He's not rude. He's not grumpy. He's a good father. Now, is there a place for more faith in your life and my life? We all said amen. But he's not some bully where he's like, you have to plead. I hope it's at 80%. How many know he will work with what you got to offer him today? That's good preaching because so many lived. I didn't, did I believe enough? Did I? Did I rub the, did I, he's not a magic bunny rabbit foot keychain. Whatever, I don't know, that didn't even make sense. If, if you don't speak English, you definitely didn't get that one. A bunny charm. What is that, what is it called? A lucky rabbit's foot. God in the power, like the, 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 the dynamics of power in the kingdom is not like a, what everyone just said. I still can't say it. Thank you. Yes, okay. So, so the point is, the point is, he's, he's a good father. And he takes, listen, he takes what we've got. And he can breathe on it. 
Come on, someone say, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. A bruised weed he won't break. Read. He takes us in our weakness. How many know that's really all we come to him in anyway is our weakness? (laughs) Our need for him. (laughs) Okay. Here it is. Here's the last three slides. This is it. Bull. Bull. Stop it. This is it. The life Jesus died for us to experience is marked by power. The one who is the very source of life himself wants to live on the inside of us. By the way, it's not power to exert our own agenda on others. It's a power that looks like Jesus. Come on, someone needs to hear that. It's not a power for you, rude husband, to say, don't you see what the Bible says? Submit to me. And you're a total jerk, and you're not treating your wife with tenderness and respect like it says in 1 Peter 3. How many know it is a power that will only and perpetually look like Jesus, or it is not kingdom power? It is a power that disrobes when you're at the table, that goes low, and that is actually freed from the power of a selfish heart that is free to become a servant, a lover of others. So when we talk about power, it is a power to become a laid down lover of Jesus, a power to serve others, to love enemies, to pray for those who persecute us. If your idea of power is anything else, of you, big, pompous, loud, whatever, it is not the power that is rooted in the Prince of Peace, the King of Glory, who came to serve, not to be served. Of course, it is a power to raise the dead and to heal the sick. But even the demon-possessed counselors of Pharaoh were able to do false deeds of power. It is first and foremost a power to know him. And then a power to become like him. And then a power to do what he did. If you get that sequence jacked up, your sequence will be jacked up. Come on, say it with me. It's a power to know him. A power to become like him. And then a power to do what he did. Come on, how many know we need all three to keep us in check? Many people, I want to go blah, 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 but their character is jacked up. They have no interest in adhering to his teachings and submitting to the scriptures or whatever. How many know there is a place in God of wholeness and holiness and power, and it's power to know him, to become like him, and to do what he did. Stand up on your feet with me. Come on. Oh my gosh, there's so much good, gooder, gooder stuff, but I said that was the, those were the last slides, so get over it. I love you. Thank you. What is so significant about all of this is how this verse ends. And, you know, God raises up Jesus, and now it says he is head over everything first for the church. How many know there is a people through whom God wants to bring to bear his eternal purposes on the earth. How many know Jesus' life is a prototype in every way? Jesus was the man fully submitted to and alive in the love of his Father, fully attuned to the voice of the Father, and fully given over to the work of the Father. And what Jesus modeled for us is the same thing he's looking for today. Are there any who will submit themselves and give themselves over fully to me that will let me awaken the eyes of their heart, that will give themselves first to me, to abide in me, and then to do what I do, and to do what I modeled to do and did. This is the call today as we come to the table. It is by coming to the table, this is not just some token meal. It is saying the life I now live 
Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. But the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. By coming to the table this morning, you're saying, Chatty, I want my eyes enlightened. I want to adhere to Jesus. I want the Spirit to lift the veil off the blinders of my thinking. I want the Spirit to convict me where I need conviction. I want to be awakened to the person, the power, and the purposes of God today. And if that's your prayer, the table is open. There's some up in the the balcony. If we can have a few, go grab that station because there's only one. You can take it up there. But come as we sing this song, please. And let's just uh, press into his purposes this morning together in Jesus' name.